0: Welcome. I'm Rose Aguilar and this is Your Call. On yesterday's show, we discussed the power of Ticketmaster. You can find that at yourcallradio.org. Today, we are discussing the power of Amazon and its growing empire. Global Amazon sales were nearly $150 billion in just the fourth quarter of last year. 50 to 70% of online retail sales are made through Amazon. During the pandemic, Jeff Bezos's net worth surpassed 200 billion dollars. ProPublica reports that between 2006 and 2018, Jeff Bezos's wealth increased by 127 billion dollars, but he only paid a 1.1% tax rate on the rise in his fortune. Jeff Bezos stepped down as the company's CEO in July 2021. In the United States, Amazon owns 110 warehouses and employs more than 1 million people. After years of organizing and speaking out about a number of abusive practices, including the use of surveillance technology to monitor productivity, warehouse workers and drivers still say they are disposable. The Open Markets Institute says Amazon's web of control must be broken. Sandeep Vahisan is legal director with the Open Markets Institute, an organization that exposes the dangers of monopolies from technology and agriculture to pharmaceuticals and transportation. Sandeep Vahisan previously worked at the American Antitrust Institute and as regulations counsel at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, and you can find Sandeep's recent piece for the new republic called The Shadow Empire that fuels Amazon's dominance at yourcallradio.org. Hi, Sandeep. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Hi, Rose. Thanks for having me.
0: Great to have you. Stacy Mitchell is co-executive director of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, an organization that challenges concentrated corporate power and works to build thriving, equitable communities. Hi, Stacy. Thanks so much for joining us again.
2: Nice to be with you. Thank you.
0: Well, great to have you, you know, just doing research on all the companies that Amazon has bought over the years, we could spend just probably 30 minutes on acquisitions. And I just want to go over a few, and then I'd love to hear from both of you beyond retail sales and just what we know about amazon.com. Amazon has drastically grown over the years. So it closed its almost $14 billion purchase of Whole Foods last August Last July, Amazon bought One Medical for almost $4 billion. That is a membership based primary care company. Amazon says its Amazon Clinic will operate in 32 states and they'll provide virtual care for 20 common health conditions. And then they've got a pharmacy that will deliver medications to your front door in just two days. In 2018, Amazon bought the doorbell company Ring for a billion dollars. Amazon Web Services, its cloud computing business, is the largest provider of cloud computing in the world by market share. And then they're a major player in the movie space. Last May, they closed an $8.5 billion acquisition of MGM. They're spending a billion on the Lord of the Rings series, the most expensive TV series ever made. Those are the ones that really stood out for me. Uh, Sandeep, what else would you like to add beyond what we all know of Amazon.com?
1: Sure. So Amazon owns, as you mentioned, 110 warehouses. It employs more than a million people. It's engaged in a series of acquisitions over the past 25 years. And all that actually understates the company's power because it also has a network of workers and firms that are nominally independent, but tightly controlled by Amazon. So for instance, Amazon's uh, bluish gray delivery vans that we all see are actually not owned by Amazon. The drivers of these vans aren't employed by Amazon. Instead, they work for an intermediary called delivery service partners uh, who own the truck, own the vans and employ the drivers, uh, but are tightly controlled by Amazon. They have very little discretion. They deliver the packages that they're given on the routes that they're told and tightly surveilled by Amazon. So Amazon has a, a large network of quote unquote, independent workers and firms that are actually entirely dominated by the company.
0: And we'll talk more about DSPs, these delivery service partners throughout the show today, because I'm sure people see these vans in their neighborhoods on, on a regular basis. Stacey, what would you add? What else do we need to know about Amazon beyond Amazon.com?
2: Well the list of acquisitions that you t- talked about you know really just touched the surface and it can be kind of difficult to figure out you know all, all you know what is Amazon it is all of these different things and as Sandeep said you know it it's tentacles reach so much further because of the relationships it has with third party sellers with delivery drivers and so on I think one of the ways to to kind of wrap our minds around and really understand the extent of Amazon's power and to understand what this company is all about Is to really recognize that what Amazon has done is it has gained control over the key infrastructure for 21st century commerce. So, any company that makes or sells anything, they need to sell on Amazon because that's where everyone is. Um, You know, cloud services, they are the primary place where companies host their data and run their uh, computing services in the web. They are the primary logistics service. And so basically they have positioned themselves as the infrastructure that every other company needs to use. And from that vantage point, they have then been able to make lots of smaller companies, essentially uh, captive extensions of themselves, and to be able to see and pick off the most lucrative parts of industry for themselves.
0: Well I want to give out the phone number because I'm sure people interact with Amazon on a regular basis and I know that so many habits really changed under COVID a lot of people shopped online and that has continued and I mean I've I've seen doorsteps that have a couple Amazon packages several times a week and so I'm, I'm just curious to hear from listeners about your interactions with Amazon If you have a relationship with this company, how it has changed over the years, and then what are your thoughts about how much power one company has buying up so many other companies? If you have worked for Amazon, we'd love to hear from you. You can give us a call at 866-798-8255, 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org. Sandeep, I know some people who tried to avoid Amazon many years ago, and they've just given up. They said, you know what? A lot of stores in my area have closed. It's hard to find certain things. I don't want to do this, but I am because it's so convenient. What are your thoughts on that? I think a lot of people feel that way. And, and just reading that Amazon is now going to, or maybe now does, de- deliver medications to your front door in just two days
1: yeah, it really captures Amazon's dominance of online commerce. Uh, you know, many of us try to be conscientious consumers and purchase from hired employers and companies quite different than Amazon when it comes to business practices and treatment of workers. But Amazon is so large and dominant that it's very hard to avoid uh, for consumers. And the dominance is actually more acute for sellers and suppliers. As, as Stacy mentioned, if you're a major producer of a wide array of goods and want to sell online you need to be on amazon Uh, not being on amazon means not reaching tens of millions of customers in the place that they're most likely to shop and further if you want to operate a third-party online retail business it's really amazon or bust Uh, amazon doesn't really have any effective competitors as you mentioned, Amazon controls 50 to 70% of digital commerce. Walmart and eBay also have open platforms for third-party sellers, but their market shares are in the single digits. So being on Amazon uh, is is essential. Uh, sellers cannot reach the same customer base on Walmart or eBay. And as a result of that, Amazon can dictate terms to sellers. Uh, as Stacey noted, sellers are in a completely captive relationship with Amazon, and that means Amazon can dictate fees and commissions, which rose uh, to 50% in 2022. So in other words, if you're selling on Amazon, on average, you're turning $1 in $2 over to the retail giant in the form of fees and commissions. And Amazon also dictates other terms, such as mandatory arbitration, which, which says if you have a legal dispute with Amazon, you cannot pursue action in court, you have to pursue action in arbitration on a solo basis, not on a class action basis. So Amazon subordinates uh, millions of sellers and suppliers. And so in a sense, the, the concentration in corporate power we feel as consumers is even more acute for suppliers and sellers.
0: And, and we'll talk more about what third party sellers have to deal with with doing business with Amazon and not doing business with Amazon uh, is difficult, especially in this age of just one click shopping. I wonder Sandeep we're, we're in such a different time today compared to even 15, maybe 10 years ago. Why do you think it is so dangerous for a company like Amazon to have its hands in so many pots? Why is it dangerous to have this much power?
1: Amazon should be thought of, and any large corporation should be thought of as an autocratic organization. It answers to its board, who in turn answer to shareholders. These institutions don't answer to their communities, to their suppliers, to their consumers. And in a country where we are all committed to small d democracy, it should be deeply concerning that a few executives, board members, and financiers get to decide the entire, uh, Entire governance of, uh, of sectors across the economy, whether it's retail or cloud computing, a few individuals get to make all the relevant decisions, regardless of the consequences for the rest of us. So, Amazon and other very large corporations that dominate one or more markets should offend our, our notions of democracy.
0: Stacy, what would you add? How, how do you answer that question?
2: You know, In the absence of intervention with this kind of core power that Amazon has in in so much, across so much of our economy and really at the infrastructure level of our economy, in the absence of intervention, it's, you know, Amazon is going to keep being able to extend its power into new sectors, um, its ability to use its control over e-commerce, over cloud computing, other over other major sectors to move into adjacent industries, whether that's finance, we're seeing moves into healthcare, as you mentioned, and so on they can extend that power forever from the basis of this core monopoly that they have. And I think, as Sandeep said, that is extremely concerning as a as a democracy uh, because effectively more and more of our markets, more and more of our economy and the shape of our society is effectively governed by Amazon. The rules that it sets are the rules that Everybody else that wants to participate in these markets has to play by and that is a is a fundamental challenge to the notion of, of democracy
0: so what there's so many aspects to this there's changing shopping habits there's the prime membership which gives people one day delivery uh, which is really incredible when you think about it I mean buying something and then it's delivered the very next day or two days. And then you've got the seller relationships, as you mentioned, the delivery service partners. Um, We've done so many shows about Amazon workers over the years. And I remember there was a great frontline documentary about Amazon. And I just wanted to find out when this came out. Because back then, okay, it was 2020. You had a number of workers saying that we're disposable. And workers have been organizing. They talk to the media on a regular basis. I mean, CNBC had a full piece about just the day day in the life of an Amazon driver. So it's it's in addition to the independent media, you've got CNBC putting this information out. And yet Sandeep workers still to this day after all of the articles, all of the attention, they still say that they are disposable.
1: The exposés and reporting have been tremendous. But they're only the first step. Amazon has revealed itself to be a notoriously anti-worker, anti-union employer. And it's still using all tricks it has to prevent workers from forming unions, treating workers fairly, limiting or ideally ending the surveillance of workers that goes on at warehouses. So ultimately, we need stronger laws and rules to govern and rein in Amazon's power. And that includes things such as actions by the National Labor Relations Board against Amazon for interfering with its workers' right to organize, actions by the Federal Trade Commission to police and stop Amazon's acquisitions going forward, uh, undo acquisitions that have already happened. And as I described in my article, uh, stopping Amazon's contractual domination of millions of quote-unquote independent workers and businesses. So the reporting has been valuable. It has shown Amazon's true character, uh, a dictatorship of shareholders that doesn't serve its suppliers and workers. But we need more. That's just the first step. We need the government, uh, federal and state, to take action to rein in Amazon's abuses.
0: Stacy, what would you add? And, and what would you like the government to do about these business practices, especially workers still saying to this day that they are disposable and struggle to make ends meet?
2: Well, for workers, one of the things we've seen is that Amazon has actually pulled down wages across the warehousing industry, that their entry and their dominance in that space has enabled them to single-handedly drive down wages so warehouse workers across the country uh, not only those who work for Amazon but in many cases other companies are making less than they would have had it not been for Amazon's dominance in that sector i think this really points to something that we are are learning lately about monopoly power you know for a long time really since the 80s, there was this focus on, you know, monopoly is just about consumer prices. Like that's the only thing to worry about. But what we're really realizing is that when companies dominate the economy when they attain this kind of power they use it to harm us as workers as people who want to start and run businesses as citizens as people who want to live in you know healthy vibrant communities and you know in all those ways Amazon is really undermining our overall well-being and uh, you know and we're even at this point starting to see it uh, have, have harmful effects uh, in terms of consumers and, and, and prices um, you know I think I think really the, the what this is reminding us is that our antitrust laws, our anti-monopoly laws, were enacted for a broad set of purposes, and that those laws have been you know very dormant for the last forty years or so, and we're beginning to see, particularly in the Biden administration, uh, in, in enforcers. Take out those laws and begin to use them again. And in the case of Amazon, you know, it's been reported that we, that there's an investigation of Amazon's monopoly power underway at the FTC and that they may be uh, on the verge of bringing a, a, an anti monopoly case against Amazon. I think that would be a very good development. Uh, I do think that this company needs to be broken up and spun off into multiple companies. And that doing that would reduce Amazon's overall power. It would make it easier to tackle some of the problems that we're addressing, like the problems of low wages. And um, it would open up the market. It would allow other companies to come along and to compete in e-commerce and other spaces in ways that would be beneficial for, for everybody and for the market as a whole.
0: Stacey Mitchell is co-executive director of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Sandeep Vahisan is legal director with the Open Markets Institute. Today we are talking about Amazon and its growing empire. We'd love to hear from you. If you use Amazon, did you know that they own Ring? Uh, They've owned Whole Foods for a while now. They just bought One Medical. They own MGM Films. Uh, what are your thoughts about the power that this one company has? If you work for Amazon, if you sell on Amazon, we'd love to hear about your experience. You can give us a call at 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at KALW or tweet us. We're at Your Call Radio. Uh, Sandeep, it is incredible to think that over 200 million people in the United States pay for a Prime membership, which costs $119 per year. And through that, you get free shipping, often one-day shipping. I just looked up the population of the U.S. The latest numbers are 331 million. And over 200 million people in the U.S. pay for an Amazon Prime membership?
1: It's a breathtaking figure.
0: It really it, is.
1: It it shows maybe better than any other single figure how completely dominant Amazon is in online commerce and as consumers Amazon seems attractive in many ways uh, we can get goods for in many cases at lower prices than we can get them elsewhere though that's not always true I should offer that caveat and as you noted convenience is extraordinary same day or next day delivery but I think it's important to step back and ask at what's the cost of these low prices and customer convenience. And the cost is Amazon's system is built on exploitation and domination of workers and small firms. And that should really give us pause. Like, is this a, is this the type of system we want? I don't deny the importance of affordable goods and services. That's valuable. But there are limits. And we should be asking ourselves, are we willing to, for example, repeal child labor laws In the name of lower prices, I would guess most people would say no. And so when we think about Amazon, we need to think about it more holistically, not as consumers, but as members of a ostensibly democratic republic.
0: It's such a tough one, Stacey, because as Sandeep said, people during COVID, things really changed. People wanted to buy online and now people are very used to cheap goods, although as Sandeep said, it's not always the cheapest and and they want something fast so i mean what are your thoughts again just to think that 200 million people are are prime members in this country <laughs>
2: Well, a couple of things. I think one, you know, we really don't have the e-commerce system that we deserve. And, you know, one of the hard things about monopolies is that when you have, you know, when you have a a really dominant company and it prevents the development of of an industry, you don't really know what you're missing. So we don't actually know what we're missing in e-commerce, but I would propose that we're actually missing a lot, that we don't really have choices online. I mean, I think it's, you know, the ability to to buy from businesses uh, online, to shop at, at all kinds of businesses, including locally owned, you know, your nearby Main Street neighborhood businesses, to be able to buy from them online is a great thing. And to be able to have stuff delivered to your door is great. Um, there is no reason that this system has to be exploitative. Like, I absolutely think that we can have um, – the convenience of that and also have a market that is much more diverse and includes a, a wider range of businesses that are offering different kinds of services on different kinds of platforms and enabling us to, to you know, shop for a wider array of, of, array of businesses, in, including local businesses, without those businesses being exploited, without the people who are delivering the goods being exploited. And, and what's necessary there is really to have the right kinds of Policies in place to deal with Amazon's market dominance, and then to step in and use policy to create the kind of um, you know e-commerce uh, uh, that that we deserve. I mean, it's it's remarkable that Amazon's service has become so much worse. I mean, if you're shopping on Amazon now you know, you go to a search results page and so much of it is ads. It's hard to sort through all the junk. I mean, this is what happens when you dominate, right? Eventually the quality of the services downgrades. And so now not only are working people suffering from Amazon and small businesses are suffering and local economies are suffering, but we as shoppers are also really not getting what we deserve because there aren't a lot of options. It's it's really notable that there are no other, you know, uh, e-commerce platforms that have really uh, grown and, and risen up. You would expect that in- in in a big, uh, dynamic economy like the U.S.
0: Before we go to break, I just want to play a clip from More Perfect Union. Four months ago, Amazon workers across six warehouses and three states staged a walkout on Prime Day. A worker in Stone Mountain, Georgia, said some workers there are sleeping in their cars because their pay is so low. Workers say normal volume on a regular day is between 50,000 and 60,000 packages. On Prime Day, they're easily up over 70,000 packages per day. This is a clip from More Perfect Union.
3: We had a worker who herniated his disc. Instead of management advising him on the proper steps to file the injury report, they told him to use his personal time to go home.
4: We're disposable. You know, they just throw us away and get another one more easily replaced.
3: Certain safety violations increase productivity so they let us get away with the safety violations because it gets them the product to the trucks at the end of the day.
0: That's a clip from More Perfect Union. They spoke with Amazon workers at six warehouses in three states who staged a walkout on Prime Day four months ago. You can find that full video. In fact, More Perfect Union does a great job of elevating the voices of workers. They have a number of Amazon worker videos on their website. You can find it at yourcallradio.org. Today, we're spending the hour with Stacey Mitchell, co-executive director of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and Sandeep Vahisan, legal director with the Open Markets Institute. We are talking about the power of Amazon and its growing empire. This is your call. We'll be back after this. This is your call. I'm Rose Aguilar. Coming up tomorrow, animal shelters are overwhelmed with pets that are being abandoned or turned in by owners who can no longer care for them. Inflation and economic struggles have made caring for a pet unaffordable for so many. So if you're thinking about adopting or fostering, now is a really good time to do it. Contact a shelter in your area, and I hope you can join us for that show tomorrow. Today, we are talking about the power of Amazon and its growing empire. Warehouse workers and drivers, after many, many years of organizing and speaking out, say that they are still disposable. Sandeep Vahisan is a legal director with the Open Markets Institute. They say Amazon's web of control must be broken. Stacy Mitchell is co-executive director of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. And you can join us at 866-798-8255. You can also email your call at kalw.org. I want to read a couple of emails from listeners. David writes, yes, it's less convenient, but I simply refuse to buy through them much as I've avoided Walmart whole paycheck. Whole foods is the closest grocery to my front door, but I stopped buying there when the then owner lobbied against Obamacare. I remember that David, um, just here's a guardian headline from January, 2013 whole foods CEO, John Mackey calling Obama fair fascist is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, So yes, thank you for that reminder back in 2013. And Tim writes, disheartening that we're at a place where autocracy is totally in control the class war is over, we lost. As long as any oversight or accountability is left to legislators who are captured by lobbyists and campaign contributions, we're left with few if any choices. I write and call Congress, but I don't have a million dollars to contribute, so I'm not sure if it's even heard. I also try to avoid shopping at Amazon, but often it's the only place to get some items. Thank you for that, Tim. And I'm so glad you brought up lobbying and campaign contributions. Stacy, can you talk about the power of Amazon in Washington
2: DC? Amazon has got extraordinary power in Washington, D.C. I mean, not only are they the biggest or one of the biggest spenders on lobbying and uh, and campa- campaign donations, but they also have a growing presence in the city. Um, you know, Jeff Bezos bought the, the founder and, and former CEO of Amazon, chairman now, bought the largest private mansion in Washington, D.C. Huge place, renovated it uh, with the idea of having these very lavish parties there that are a who's who of of Uh, 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 political leaders, uh, high-level journalists, and the like, I mean, really, you know, hobnobbing with the corridors of power. You've also got Amazon decided to locate its second headquarters in Washington, D.C., you know, with the idea of having tens of thousands of Amazon uh, uh, white-collar workers in the city, uh, just outside the city. Um, You know, that kind of, the, the sort of relationships and presence and the sort of soft power that you can exercise when you've got a lot of Employees who are you know, whose kids are attending school with, um, you know, the, the, the kids of uh, of Hill staffers and the like, um, you know, so this is is really an indication, I think, that 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 Bezos and and Amazon recognize that there's there's no other company that's going to come along and challenge their power. You know, the only thing that is potentially going to challenge their dominance is the federal government. Uh, is the, is is a democracy intervening to say this is too much that no company should have this kind of power, and so he has very much uh, zeroed in on Washington D.C. as a as a place to be to be present and try to avert that from happening. That said, I do want to just offer a little bit of 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 optimism, which is that we have a growing awareness across the country um, of the importance of checking monopolies. You know, For a long time, this was an issue that we didn't really talk about. Um, we didn't talk about the scale and power of companies, and we didn't talk about all of our anti-monopoly tools, which have been kind of lying dormant uh, for a long time. And none of those are really, that conversation is coming back to the fore, and, and we are seeing the federal government really wake up, in large part because a lot of ordinary people are speaking up. And one of the things I think is most encouraging about what's happening, particularly on the Amazon front, is that you've got a lot of working people who are organizing, you know, as you mentioned earlier in the the clips that you played, um, but you've also got small businesses who are organizing. Uh, We're part of a coalition called Small Business Rising, which is a network of about three dozen uh, small business organizations. And those small business groups and the labor groups are increasingly cooperating to say, you know, this is an economy where you allow big companies to die dominate, everybody else loses. And I think politically, that's very powerful. And it's one of the things that's starting to shift the tide.
0: Thank you for bringing that up, because we are definitely going to do a show about small businesses and worker owned co-ops, which are growing out there. It's it's just, they just don't get as much attention as I wish they would.
2: That's right. Yes, indeed. And a a number of small businesses when they, you know, individually owned, when they get to the point of retirement are now finding that they can sell their business to to their employees. And that's a really great uh, succession plan and way to keep small businesses going.
0: Sandeep, do you have anything else to add? Anything else we need to know about the power Amazon has, not only in D.C., but also... Governments across the country, when they come to town, they demand massive tax breaks. Anything else we need to know about their power when it comes to politicians?
1: Yeah, I'd add add two things. Amazon also wields a great deal of intellectual power by funding think tanks and academic centers to propagate a pro-Amazon view, either downplaying the public concerns about Amazon or rationalizing Amazon's practices as beneficial for the public, and that helps structure the debate and sometimes even limit the terms of debate on what's possible and what's acceptable. So Amazon also tries to manip- manipulate our political and intellectual discourse using its money. But as Stacy noted, I think that effort is increasingly unsuccessful because Amazon's power, raw power and abuses are increasingly hard to deny. And so I think Amazon's hired guns in academia and at, The various think tanks are having a harder time justifying the company's power in arguments that might have received traction, might have gained traction and been treated with credibility five or 10 years ago are now being viewed with a lot more skepticism. So I think that's an important aspect of Amazon's power. And looking outside of DC, I often think back to the contest among states and cities to attract Amazon's second headquarters or HQ2 in 2017 and 2018. And Amazon exercised its power in such a brazen way, basically trying to extract as many subsidies and other favors from state and local governments as possible. And unfortunately, most of our state and local officials danced. Uh, I remember Andrew Cuomo jokingly referring to himself as Amazon Cuomo, if uh, that's what it took to get Amazon to New York city. And so I think that really exposed the Often, hollow character of American democracy. You, you saw elected officials often quite indifferent to the concerns of local residen- residents shamelessly putting themselves out there for Amazon uh, in the hopes that they would attract HQ2 and the promised 50,000 jobs. And what's interesting is uh, Amazon ultimately chose New York City and the Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C., uh, a political campaign in New York persuaded Amazon not to set up shop in New York City. And just recently, Amazon announced it's putting a a pause on its uh, second headquarters uh, here in Northern Virginia. So Amazon successfully got state and local officials to throw unimaginable goodies toward it. And in the end, effectively said, at least here in the DC metropolitan area, just kidding, we're not all that serious about the second headquarters plan.
0: That is Sandeep Vahisan, legal director with the Open Markets Institute. Stacey Mitchell is co-executive director of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. We're discussing the power of Amazon and its growing empire and workers still saying they're disposable, specifically warehouse workers and drivers. We have a number of callers who've been waiting patiently. So let's start off with Thomas and Berkeley. Hi, Thomas. Welcome to the show.
5: Hi. Hi. I don't know how long ago it was. I tried to do business with um, Amazon, I think it was about 10 years ago, and I bowed out of the offer that I made, and they sent me an email saying that they would no longer do business with me, and there were three other businesses that I could not approach.
0: Thomas, can I ask you, as a business owner, is i mean amazon is the the main player right that that can be a game changer for a business I, owner is that right
5: i would think
0: right and so what 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 happened they just didn't like your offer
5: no see i i i was making an offer like a regular person not even a business thing i was just trying to buy a product and i didn't like what they were offering And so I bowed out of it, and then they sent me an email saying they would have nothing to do with me anymore or I couldn't do business with other three businesses.
0: Huh. (laughs) I I just thought it was too weird. That is very weird.
5: And how they would have the power to eliminate me from such a thing.
0: Wow, very strange. Uh, Sorry, I I misheard you. I thought you said that you were a business owner trying to do business with Amazon. Okay very strange well thank you for calling in we'll get responses after we take a couple more calls uh, let's go to George in San Francisco hi George
5: hi consider this is a company which tries to put on a, a attractive mask or that it has a department labeled philanthropy doesn't it what what can we expect from Amazon Inc if We ask them, what have they done for us? What is their philanthropy? What is the key program or programs in that pile?
0: I'm so glad you brought this up because, Sandeep, it is very rare to see Jeff Bezos interviewed And CNN actually got a 20-minute interview with him. I didn't even bother grabbing a clip because every question was a softball. (laughs) Um, You know, so you're going to give your money away. How will you decide how to give it away? And, you know, what do you think of the economy right now? I mean, not one question about workers. And so I just wonder, I mean, have you ever seen a tough interview with Jeff Bezos? I don't think he gives many interviews.
1: No, no. I can't recall a single tough interview and he tends to keep a fairly low public profile though, given the press's interest in the power of big tech, that's increasingly hard for him to do. The only example I can think of is he testified before the house of representatives, the antitrust subcommittee in the summer of 2020. And that was the only instance where I thought he w- was presented uh tough questions and interviewed by in this case members of congress who were somewhat adversarial toward him but otherwise i can't recall a single instance and the the caller is right Uh, in going back to the 19th century and basis is just the latest wealthy very wealthy people large corporations have used philanthropy as a way of of burnishing their image uh trying to, to push their unsavory and abusive practices to the margins and say well We're responsible. We care about society. We're supporting all these worthy causes. But the reality is the money that they're dispensing came out of exploitation and coercion and returning a few cents on the dollar to society doesn't make amends for those original offenses against society.
0: Well, and so it's interesting because Jeff Bezos... Once in a while, he'll give out $100 million. In 2021, he gave $100 million to CNN contributor Van Jones and the chef Jose Andres. He recently gave Dolly Parton $100 million. And the New York Times had a really interesting piece back in last April, actually, about Jeff Bezos' wealth. They found that he's given away only 1.2% of his wealth uh, which is $2.1 billion. A- And just a reminder, his net worth surpassed $200 billion under COVID. They say that 0.7% would give every Amazon employee $1,000. 1.9% of his wealth would pay for pre-K for every U.S. child for a year. I mean, there's just so many things that the money could go toward. Stacy, what are your thoughts on this um, when it comes to Jeff Bezos? Because I mean, CNN made a huge deal about Jeff Bezos deciding to give away all of his money. But according to the New York Times, he's given away 1.2% so far. And again, workers who are asking for a living wage, in some cases, say they're sleeping in their cars.
2: Well, that interview was really embarrassing for CNN. I mean, just incredible that they would allow him to have that sort of platform without actually asking him any hard questions. Um, You know, I I think I come back to how is it that Jeff Bezos has amassed $200 billion in the first place. And so, you know, we can talk about whether he gives, you know, how little of it he actually, you know, gives to charity. But, you know, as you've alluded to, he uses that little bit of giving that he does mainly to burnish his own image and to burnish the image of Amazon. So it's not really about uh, actually doing, good in the world. Uh, it's, it's at his own discretion and for his own purposes. Uh, and, and again, why? how is it that he has amassed $200 billion to begin with? It's an extraordinary amount of money for a single individual to have. And I think you can look around the country and see how he's done that. It is You can see it in the growing number of neighborhoods and regions of the country that are in a great deal of despair because there are no real economic prospects where, you know, it, you can see it in what's happened to our democracy in the sense that, you know, at the local level, we no longer feel like we really control our fate, you know, that the that the, the fate of our communities is really in the hands of these big external corporations, you know, is, is Amazon going to locate here, you know, uh, are, are these big banks on Wall Street going to help us out? I mean, you know, th- there is a sense that we are no longer a democracy and, and th- that our communities really are, uh, uh, you know, controlled by by by, by distant boardrooms. I think you can see it in what's happening to working people. I can I think you can see it in just the demise of lots of, of small and mid-sized businesses. Um, you know, that is where, that is how he has amassed this power and, and, and amassed this wealth in the first place. And I think what we need to think about is how do we restructure our our economy? How do we restructure how our economy is, is set up? Who runs it? How decisions are made? So that we get an actual uh, fair distribution of wealth and income, and we allow everyone uh really to prosper in a way that both reduces the need for charitable giving and prevents individuals from from gaining this much wealth and then and then essentially using it to burnish their own reputations.
0: And again, according to ProPublica, between 2006 and 2018, Jeff Bezos paid a 1.1% tax on his rise in fortune. His wealth increased by $127 billion. Let's hear from a few more callers. Let's go to Elaine in Oakland. Hi, Elaine. Welcome to the show.
4: Hi. Can you hear me? Hi. Go ahead. You're on the air. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, Yeah, I'm a senior, and I buy a lot of things online for myself, and I work part-time, and I also buy a lot of things online for the company I work for. But I never buy from Amazon. I have not bought anything from Amazon in many, many years, and I have managed to find everything I wanted uh, from other sources, including from the original manufacturer. So, you know, it takes a little bit of work, but not that much to do, uh, searches, and I search with DuckDuckGo rather than Google, which is another, another company I boycott. I boycott Amazon, Walmart, and a lot of other companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can find what you want online if you, if you look. Um, so I just wanted to say, you know, I'm so grateful for this conversation, um, and I'm hoping that something can be done about it. But um, there, people have options. I vote with my dollars on every issue, and that's what people need to do. Uh, It's a little bit more work, but it's definitely doable.
0: Well, thank you so much for the call, Elaine. Let's go next to Alice in San Francisco. Hi, Alice.
4: Hello there, and uh, I agree with what Elaine just said. I maintain my own personal boycott of Amazon as well. I don't want to give another dime to building up Jeff Bezos' empire. And the other thing I wondered, you you were talking about Amazon Prime, and I think that people are... um, Once they pay their annual fee, they want to get their money's worth. So they just keep on using it more and more. So it's uh, uh, a very worrying uh, way that some of these companies, I think um, Newsmax also has connections with the entertainment industry and OAN. And once you're hooked on to watching them on television, you get other things for free. And so, you know, that's one aspect that also makes them dominant. Mm.
0: Yeah, well, thank you for that. Um, We just got an email from from Marion who says in California, her prime costs $153 every year. So thank you for that. You know, we're almost out of time, and and I want to make sure that we go back to the workers, because think about all those Amazon vans that you see daily in neighborhoods. And you mentioned this earlier, Sandeep. You talked about this in your article about these delivery service partners, And so can you tell us a a bit more about this? So DSPs own the vans and employ the drivers, but then Amazon controls the drivers and and also they surveil the drivers to keep track of what they're doing, how many packages they're delivering, how long it takes them to deliver these packages. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Sure. So the the vans that we see playing down our streets are owned by DSPs and the DSPs employ the drivers. But the DSPs are completely controlled by Amazon. Amazon sets the rates that they get for deliveries, uh, sets their daily quotas for how many packages to deliver, decides the routes that the drivers take and surveils the drivers to ensure that they're complying with Amazon's directions. So on paper, these are independent businesses, but in practice, they are subordinate to Amazon. Neither the drivers nor the DSP owners exercise much of any discretion amazon tells them how to do their business but amazon in turn gets to have its cake and eat it too it controls the dsps and the drivers but doesn't have any of the duties or responsibilities of of employers uh, it, it's not on the hook for labor law violations it's not on the hook for dsps failing to pay their drivers minimum wages and overtime so amazon gets the best of both worlds and this probably surprises most people because if you look at these vans they you would reasonably think that they're owned and operated by Amazon. They carry Amazon's name and logo, it's uh, impossible to ignore, but they're actually operated by, quote unquote, independent businesses. And Amazon's been marketing the DSP program as an attractive entrepreneurial opportunity and especially uh, has especially targeted people of color. Uh, but in practice, this is not an entrepreneurial opportunity. It's, it's an opportunity to be controlled and dominated by this giant corporation.
0: Vice reports that Amazon delivery drivers nationwide have to sign a biometric consent which grants Amazon permission to use AI-powered cameras to access the driver's location, their movement, and biometric data. And I just want to play a clip from CNBC. Uh, They've got a long clip about drivers, um, and this is a driver talking about just what she goes through on a daily basis.
3: What's going on? It's your girl, Celine the Queen, coming to you guys with the video of the day in the life of an Amazon delivery driver. I have 113 stops today, Um, so I'm going to start with this one. Then I go up, then down, up, down, up, down, up, down, delivering packages for the world's largest e-commerce company is a monumental job especially with this month's annual Prime Day sales event. I've been tired, exhausted, long days. Chalene Williams and 115,000 other drivers are part of Amazon's solution to the most expensive part of a package's journey, getting it that last mile to customer doorsteps. This is where I used to load out 210 right there. We spoke with current drivers and took a ride with former driver Adrienne Williams to see where she delivered for Amazon from November 2019 to July 2020.
2: I would average between like 150,
3: 180, sometimes 190 packages. Since 2018, Amazon has been building out its network of these independent contractors, delivery service partners or DSPs. With more than 2,000 of them across the U.S. now, DSPs helped Amazon reach notoriety for extremely fast shipping.
2: There's a lot of aspects of the job that are really enjoyable. You get a lot of exercise. The customers are really happy to see you. They're getting whatever the heck they ordered. But there's things that need to be fixed.
3: From urinating in bottles to running stop signs, routes that lead drivers to run across traffic, dog bites, and cameras recording inside vans at all times, DSP drivers have voiced big concerns, largely tied to the relentless workload required to meet Amazon's one-day shipping promise.
2: The expectation is just go, 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 go at your own cost. Thanks to CNBC for a
0: clip about Amazon's DPS drivers. Uh, Stacy, we're almost out of time, but It it is almost unimaginable to think about what what does it do to your body to deliver 190 packages a day?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, the injury rates in Amazon warehouses are... Much higher than in other warehouses, and I imagine that we're also seeing that with their, with the drivers. We know that there are dangers as well for, um, you know, for other people on the road because the, you know the, the, the Amazon does not train its drivers the same way uh, that UPS and and the Postal Service do, for example. I mean, this is you know, it, 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 you know, one of the things that's just like this veneer of being small business owners when in fact they're not, and the the way in which this enables Amazon. To harm these drivers, and then, on top of that, you know this is a, this is amazon 's move into shipping is really undercutting the u s postal service, which is unionized. Uh, you know democratically controlled um, you know the, the, sort of a, a, a last bastion of working class you know middle income jobs and you know Amazon has been slowly eroding uh, the postal services uh, a, a role and so really really undercutting that as well um so however you look at this I think ultimately uh, you know it, 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 it's it's another sign of why we need to deal with this company's outsized power.
0: Sandeep, final thoughts from you, just given that we've been talking about these issues for years. The Guardian just had a piece recently about how the DOJ and OSHA are going to take a look at Amazon's grueling working conditions. I mean, why is this taking so long, given all of the information that we have from independent media to CNBC?
1: it's a good question. Uh, I wish the government moved faster. I wish we had seen action from OSHA, the FTC, NLRB against Amazon by now. Uh, Actually, I think the NLRB may have taken action against Amazon, so I take that back. Uh, Yeah, so things are happening more slowly than I expected, I hoped. President Mm -hmm. Biden has appointed a number of good officials to the antitrust agencies and labor agencies, but we're more than halfway done with the president's first term and we still have yet to see that really big action against Amazon. I should note that the states have brought cases against Amazon. So the state of California and the District of Columbia have challenged Amazon's use of uh, restrictive contracts with with third-party sellers. So we have seen some action at the state level, but ultimately we need federal action that not only targets a portion of Amazon's business, but that comprehensively tries to rein in its power and end its abusive practices.
0: Well, we're going to have to do part two on this because we didn't even get to talk about Amazon's cloud computing business, the largest provider of cloud computing in the world by market share, according to built in. We also have so many emails that we didn't have time for. So I'm sorry we, we didn't get to all of your comments. We'll definitely do a follow up show. Sandeep Vahisan is legal director with the Open Markets Institute. Stacey Mitchell is co-executive director of the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Thank you both for your work and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. I'm Rose Aguilar. It's your call.